Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. If you have your Bibles with, me, uh, with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to the small book of Jonah, okay? To the small book of Jonah. It's near the end of the Old Testament. It's somewhere right between Genesis and Revelation. So when you're looking for that, uh, you know, as you're looking for that, I'll just, a comment needs to be made. Because right away when I say the book of Jonah, you're like, wait, is this part six of Tim Ryan's sermon series on the book of Jonah? <laughs> I mean, it does fit the bill of like, it's been a couple years, so we are due for another message on Jonah. And so, is this a sequel? And the answer is absolutely it is, yeah, 100%. <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, but seriously, shout out to Tim Ryan, Pastor Tim. I love that guy. And uh, he took us through Jonah a couple years ago, and it was uh, made famous because there was great lengths of time in between. But in all seriousness, Jonah is an amazing book of the Bible. And recently, I got the privilege to read through it with my family. So my wife and my four boys, we've started this tradition in our home recently uh, we were reading some biographies, my wife and I, and we noticed this really neat common denominator in all of the different biographies that were, we were reading of men and women who lived their lives unto God with faithfulness. And you know what we noticed? It was what they all shared in common was their parents read to them from Scripture and prayed with them. Huh. And we went, that's interesting. And they made it a routine in their family. And so we, th we said, why don't we try this? And naturally, I'm, I'm going to overcomplicate everything, but I'm really working hard to make family devotions as simple as open up my Bible. Again, it's, I'm not against children's Bibles at all. I think children's Bibles are great. We also read our kids' children's Bibles, but we open up this Bible right here every morning in our living room, and we read a passage of Scripture together as a family. And I thought, Lord, how on earth is this going to work? Like, this is an NIV. It's kind of like big leagues here. You know what's amazing? <laughs> they totally get it. So we read a passage of Scripture. We ask them, what stands out to you guys? We have fascinating conversations and a little bit of roughhousing because every good family devotions needs to have like a wrestling match right in the middle of it. So that's good. Um, and then we pray together. And it's been so fantastic. And so I was reading through the book of Jonah with my family. And that's actually where the Lord put this idea on my heart. And I haven't been able to get rid of it since. I just, I feel like there's a message for us in this book. And so buckle up. Because there's a lot more to this little book than a certain cast of vegetables would let you know. Okay? And that's not a knock. I, hey... I grew up on VeggieTales, okay? A lot of respect for VeggieTales. But, man, God's Word is rich and God's Word is alive. And this book of Jonah has a lot that we can learn from. So, if you have your Bibles there already, hopefully you found Jonah. I'm going to just start, as I, I often do, I'm just going to read a big portion of this book for us, just so we get the whole context this morning. And then we're going to make our way back to the top and work our way through it verse by verse. Does that sound good? Okay, let's do it. Jonah chapter 1, it reads, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a, bo- uh, found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out in his, to his own God. And they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this great calamity. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? And what country are you from? From what are your people? He answered them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But when they could not, for the sea had grown even wilder than before, they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. And do not hold us responsible, or accountable sorry, for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this... The men feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah chapter 1. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that we get to gather here as a church this morning to be able to sing your praise, to be able to hear each other sing. Great are your mercies, God. And Lord, I pray now that as we look into your word, would we not treat this as casual? Lord Jesus, sometimes when we come upon a passage of scripture that we've heard for years, it's our temptation to go, ah, I've heard this before. Lord, stir in our hearts. Remind us that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So as we look at your word today, help us to do it with seriousness, but would we also be filled with joy? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. So let's start with asking the question, who is Jonah? Who is Jonah? So the first passage, or the first, uh, sorry, verse in in the book Starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. See, the book of Jonah is situated near the end of the Old Testament and it's in a group of books that are referred to as the Minor Prophets. That's currently where I'm reading in my own devotions. I'm going through the Minor Prophets. And the first verse of the book of Jonah completely fits the mold for how we would expect one of these minor prophet books to begin. So this is how they would often start. They would state who the prophet was, 
or who it was that was getting this word of the Lord. So in our case, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Okay, so far, it's all the same. And the prophet, by the way, that's just simply a messenger. They had nothing to do with stirring up what was going to happen. They're simply a mouthpiece. So God speaks to the prophet, and they're a messenger, and they go and speak to the people. So we find out who the prophet is, and then we also find out usually where they're from, who, who their family was, like the Mennonite game, but back in Israel. Okay, so Jonah, son of Amittai. And then finally, we also get a glimpse into what their message is going to be, that they're, who they're going to deliver their message to. So in this case, Jonah's going to be a messenger to the people of Nineveh. What do we know about Jonah? Well, he was mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, in 2 Kings 14 to be specific, so you can jot that down if you're interested in going, oh, I didn't know Jonah was also mentioned elsewhere. Check it out. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14. We don't have time to look uh, more into that today, but he was known to be a prophet from northern Israel. So far, Jonah's fitting in quite naturally with all the other books. But as we're about to see, this is no typical minor prophet book at all. In fact... Jonah only has one line of prophecy in it. That's interesting. Only one small line of prophecy. So, we're about to see that this is no standard book. You ready for the twist? Okay, Jonah 1 verse 3, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, okay? So if there's Snickers when I say Tarshish, I don't know. It sounds weird when I say it in my head. But Jonah goes to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I know we've all read this book before, so we know this. We read it and we go, well, yeah, that's what I was expecting when I opened up Jonah. You know, it's when someone doesn't go the right way, we call that pulling a Jonah. We get it, that Jonah is going to go the opposite way. But I want you to imagine that you were reading this for the very first time, okay? And you've just read through Hosea, say, or another minor prophet, and you get the order, okay? The word of the Lord comes to so-and-so, and then what happens? They give the word of the Lord that God gave them. But in Jonah, there's this unexpected twist, we should actually be scratching our heads here. Why on earth would a prophet of God be fleeing from God? That doesn't make any sense. We're not supposed to see that coming. I know that we've become familiar with it, but it should actually jar us a little bit. Hey, that's strange, okay? So I'm going to give you just the dumbest illustration. Are you ready for a dumb illustration? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Because church should be fun. So I thought we would watch a, a little bit of a clip. And it, it, it's a stretch, okay? But I think you're going to know this clip, or at least many of you will. It's from a very classic movie about something unexpected that happens, okay? So you ready to have fun? All right, let's play the video. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. All right, so who knows that movie? Yes? All right, what's the movie? Princess Bride. Prepare to die. What a great line, right? Oh, I love it. And so, 
It's unexpected. I mean, if you watch the movie, you find out that Count Rugen, or the Six-Finger Man, he is, he's a nincompoop anyway. But, so you know that, but it's supposed to be a scene where you're like, oh, I'm about to see two, you know, adversaries square off in an epic sword fight. But then the unexpected comes, he's a total coward, and he runs away. Awesome, right? Good illustration. That's Jonah, in a sense. We're supposed to be going, all right, here we go. What's the word of the Lord going to be to these Ninevites? But that's not what happens at all. He runs in the opposite direction. In the opening act of this fascinating little book, Jonah the prophet turns out to be Jonah the rebel. And instead of going where the Lord sends him and saying what the Lord tells him to do, he goes in the exact opposite direction. And when I mean opposite, I mean like literally the furthest away. Uh, I, got a, I got a map here. Look at this. So you can't blame this on, oh, I just, I thought it was this way, Lord. No, this is like intentional. 550 miles, he's got to go to the east. There we go. And instead, he go, he's trying to go 2,500 miles to the west. Tarshish is literally as far as he could have gone away from the, the word of the Lord. That is what Jonah is doing right here. Okay, but, but a timeout. Before we go and start judging Jonah, we, need, we know the first obvious thing that we need to do is take a look at ourselves, right? Because so often, we're the rebels too. To varying degrees, but we've all ran from God. In one way, shape, or form, we've all ran from God. And I bet if, if the Lord had a map conveniently plotted out for us, some of our maps of our route are probably just as crazy as Jonah's. So, we might be tempted to, ter- to determine Jonah's motives here and wonder, well, why on earth is Jonah running away? And our first thought might be, well, perhaps he's scared, okay? Perhaps Jonah is afraid of the word of the Lord and going to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were from the empire of Assyria. That was Israel's big arch enemy, okay? And that, they were a terrifying bunch. I looked into it briefly, and it was just too much for me. But, like, they did crazy things to intimidate their enemies, such as they had these massive stakes that they would put on the outsides of their city, and they would just impale someone on there. Just so that when you came to the friendly town of Nineveh, you'd go, oh, I better not mess with these people. They were a a pretty terrifying uh, adversary to have, and so it would be perfectly reasonable if we were to think maybe Jonah was just scared, but actually, that's not what Jonah was running from. Not at all. And the reason why I know this is because the book of Jonah actually tells us why Jonah chose to flee. And that's jumping ahead. We're not going to get to chapter 4 today, but it actually says that the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, like God had asked, didn't want to go on the path that God had for him, is because Jonah's plans and God's plans just didn't line up. Jonah didn't like the direction that God was taking his life. And I know that sounds ridiculous, like, how can we even say, I don't like the direction you're taking my life, Lord? Well, so often, though, that's the truth, is we know the call of Jesus. We've wrestled with the passages, take up your cross and follow me. And then we proceed to try to live it out 
and we realize, man, there's a part of me deep down inside, there's a part of you deep down inside that is at odds with the call of the Lord on our lives. Is that true? That's true for me anyway. I want to suggest three reasons why we commonly run. And these are only three. There's probably more, and they're not comprehensive, but three simple reasons why we would run from God's call in our life. Well, first would be sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says this, All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, like Pastor Stephen talked about last week. So obviously the first one that comes to my mind is sin. Sin will cause us to go in the opposite direction of what God would have for us. But there's another one. What about fear? Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Maybe it's fear of man. Maybe we feel God asking us to be bold in our workplace or in our school or at a family gathering. Have you been there where it's like, oh, I feel that God is asking me to say something that would just be a little uncomfortable, but then having to wrestle with how will they respond if I say that? What if they reject me? What if they, what if they get angry with me? So fear of the Lord is a snare. And then third, conflicting desires, as I mentioned. There's, there's the longings and desires of our heart, and when we're saved, God begins to work by his spirit to put new desires in. And that's a beautiful thing, but we also know from Galatians 5.17 that there are these conflicting desires within us. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. It says they are in conflict with one another. Each of us is still wrestling with the flesh and its passions and its desires, and it wages war, and it can pull us off of the track that God has for us, where God says, I want you to go this way. I don't want you to live like that anymore. And I felt that struggle. So you go, Lord, I want that too. I don't want to, I don't want to stay stuck in my sin, but there's a conflict inside. All right, and then we're going to get back to the story of Jonah, though, and see what happens next, because thankfully we have a God that cares about us enough that in our running, he doesn't abandon us. So, we see the Father's heart in discipline throughout the whole book of Jonah. Check out Jonah 1.4. It says, this is right after Jonah decides, nope, I'm going in the opposite direction, Lord. I don't want this call that you've given me. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. A great storm suddenly appears, catching Jonah probably off guard. Oh man, you've got to be kidding me. And making his getaway very difficult. God is frustrating Jonah's plans. And Jonah is realizing that they're futile. Have you ever encountered a storm like this in your life? I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but sometimes God just sends these challenges at the most inconvenient times. Have you ever noticed that? I have. These storms come to test us and to challenge us to consider what path we're on. What's the ultimate end goal for us? The Bible calls this discipline. And the Bible tells us that God is a good father and that he disciplines his children for their own good. 
And I know that for some people, this is a really tough point because maybe you, you grew up experiencing the ugly side of discipline. Maybe you grew up and you go, no, I've had my experience with a parent that tried to discipline me and that didn't go well. And there's a wound there. And I know, I, I understand, I empathize. And I'm sorry that that was your experience, but discipline is actually at the heart of discipleship. And it's part of the path that Jesus would call us to walk on. And I know for some, it has a bad taste in our mouths. But we can't throw it away either. I want to show you a passage that shows the centrality of discipline in the life of a believer, okay? It's in Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll set up the verse by saying it's that classic passage that says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. Right? It, it kind of describes or sets up the path of discipleship is like a race that we're all called to run. Every believer is called to run this race and run it with their eyes fixed on God, and we're meant to set aside the passions of our flesh and sin, everything that would slow us down from running this race. So that is the context of this passage. But then only a verse later, now the Lord's going to start talking to us about discipline. Hebrews 12, 4-6 says this. Oh, I love this passage. In your struggle against sin, again, he's referring to that race, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as a son. So we see here that actually discipline is for our own good and we're going to come back to this passage next week and read a little bit more of its surrounding context. It's this beautiful part of a relationship with Jesus where he actually uses discipline to make us better. God is more concerned about what we are becoming. He wants us to be better and he will use discipline to help get us there, to help keep us on the course, to test and to challenge us so that we can grow for our own good. And of course, we can see discipline elsewhere throughout the Bible. I don't think I'm going to have time to go here this morning, but Haggai chapter 1, verse 7, it's, oh, I love Haggai chapter 1 as well. You should definitely read that in your devotions this week. If you haven't read Haggai recently, it's this amazing passage where the Lord is giving the people this command, this instruction to go rebuild the house of the Lord. Rebuild the house of the Lord, but they're slow in doing it. They're distracted by other things. The Lord says, why are you worried so much about building your own house? about taking care of your own needs while my house remains in a ruin. And then the prophet begins, to, or the Lord begins to speak through the prophet. This is why, the Lord said, I've sent drought on you. This is why there's been hardship in your life. Testing because I'm getting you to see that you're actually pursuing the wrong thing. It's not because the Lord is mean. It's not because the Lord enjoys making our lives difficult. It's actually because he loves us like a good father. And he desires for us to go down the right path. And so in Jonah's case, God 
loved Jonah enough to send a storm. And God loves you and God loves me enough to send storms in our lives too. That's the truth of it. God is a good father and he loves us enough to not let us blindly go off in our own way, away from life towards death. He loves us. And by the way, I am not saying that every storm that you have in your life is a result of sin. Do not hear me saying that. Some of the storms, as we see in Jonah's case, are a result of our poor choices to go away from God. But there's also a whole other component of suffering and hardship. Again, we're going to touch on that next week, okay? But right now, I just want to come back to this point of discipleship is a two-way street. And discipline, storms in our life, that's on God's yard. But how we choose to respond, that's on us. We have the choice to respond, and how we respond really matters. It really matters. Jonah 1 verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And here's where I think the message gets really important for us as a church. How we choose to respond to discipline or hardships in any shape, I guess that it could be said in any sense, just suffering in general is crucial. And I want you to notice, okay, what are the sailors doing? These people on the boat with Jonah, what are they doing? They're crying out. Can we say that together? They're crying out. That's what the sailors are doing in this moment. Who are they crying out to? Well, not to Yahweh, not to the God who made the heaven and the earth, not the true God, but they're crying out. That's what they're doing. They're doing something. They see that there's a problem. They see that this is not going to go well. And so they start to cry out. But where on earth is Jonah in this moment? Jonah... And I just see an asparagus in my head right now. Jonah is downstairs asleep. Jonah is silent. Jonah's not crying out at all. And church, sometimes I wonder, what are we known for? What are we known for in a storm? I know we've talked about this so much. But just bear with me for a second. What have we been known for in the last two years? As a church, but what have you been known for individually? Let this challenge us. Are we known for crying out? Are we known for raising our voice to our only true hope, the Savior of the world, the true and living God? Or has that aspect of our life gone quiet? And you know, sometimes I wonder what I'll be known for at the end of my life. I remember as I was writing this point down, I just thought of my sons for a moment. And I just went, man, I wonder at the end of my life what they're going to remember of me. Are they going to remember a father that when things got difficult, when the pressure was on, did they see me respond in fear or in anger, 
or in a shouting match? Or did they see me respond in humility and cry out to my Lord? I wonder that. And I pray that God will help me to be the type of father, the type of husband, the type of friend that models, let's cry out to the Lord. And I'm not saying that there's not a place to use our voice. I think we've covered that enough. There is so a place to use our voice to talk and to dialogue. But are we known? Is our life marked by we cry out to the Lord? You know, we just have to wrestle with passages like 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. God's word promises it, but have we tested that promise? I think we have. I think many of us have. I think we can be encouraged by that too. I love that we get to be a part of a church where we value prayer and where we're learning prayer. Prayer is a learnt thing. Crying out to God is a learnt thing, and so there's room for growth, and God loves to take us on a journey. Amen? But all I'm saying is, We need to be challenged at times. Is that at the core of me? Or what comes out when I'm bumped in a storm? I want to share with you two other stories, boat stories, as comparisons to Jonah, okay? So we're going to pull back from Jonah for a moment, and I want us to just think about these other stories of people who are in similar situations. The first is about a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. Okay, one of my personal heroes, Hudson Taylor, was a missionary to China. A a man of God, a broken man, but a man of God that went and followed the Lord's calling in his life to China. And by the way, back to Go Love, if you join us for Go Love, we're going to be looking at the life of Hudson Taylor and learning from his life. It's going to be awesome. But Hudson Taylor felt God calling him to China as a young man in his early 20s. And he obeyed that call even though it was very difficult for him. He obeyed that call, and he set out from Liverpool, England, on a boat called the Dumfries to sail to China. So back in those days, if you were on a missions trip, you better budget in about five months to get to where you were going. My goodness, it wasn't like hop on a plane and just fly there. It was like, okay, I've got to invest a serious chunk of my life to just get there. And then what happens if I don't like it? I'm stuck, (laughs) right? He gets called, though, and he goes. He he obeys the Lord. He gets on this boat. And while they're still on the Irish Sea, so they've barely just left, like a day or two into the voyage, the boat came upon a fierce storm that lasted for several days. And the waves are pounding and pounding on the side of the ship. And everyone on the ship is panicking. The situation looks really, really grim. And the worst part is that the wind and the the current are pushing the boat right towards the jagged shoreline that's just filled with rocks. And so the sailors know, moment by moment, they're getting closer and closer and closer to smashing against these rocks, and that's the end. In the middle of a storm like that, that's basically the end. And so Hudson Taylor finds himself going, Lord, you called me to go to China. You called me to follow you, to to lay down my own desires and to go onto this amazing journey that you have for me. And now only a day into the journey, 
I'm going to die on this ship? What on earth is happening? So Hudson goes down below deck, and he starts to pray. And he starts to ask the Lord, please deliver us from this. Deliver us from this storm, but not my will, but yours be done. Lord, whatever is your way, I submit to it. But he begins to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord puts a passage on Hudson Taylor's heart. Psalm 50, verse 15, that says, And call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Now, here's a question. Who of you have ever been in the middle of a storm, and the Lord all of a sudden gives you a passage of Scripture? A lifeline. Where suddenly... Things just look so dark. Things just look so bleak. How on earth am I going to get through this? And then the word of the Lord comes to you and he gives you a passage of scripture and you feel like your hope is made new again. Who's ever experienced that? Something to that, right? Where the word encourages us. Well, that's Hudson at this moment. He clings to that word and he continues to pray. And you know what? Miraculously, the wind and the waves cease and they don't crash and he ends up having a smooth sail to China. Just kind of a random little hiccup right at the beginning as he's on his way to do what the, the Lord has asked him to do. There's this crazy hiccup. But you know, Hudson wasn't running from God. Hudson was running with God towards his calling. The opposite of Jonah. And you know what I thought about? It's really hard to cry out to God when you know you're on the wrong boat. Isn't that true? When you know deep down in your heart, I am on the wrong boat, I'm going in the wrong direction, it's hard to cry out to God in that moment. Because it requires humility. It requires saying, Lord, I got this wrong. It requires admitting that you need his help. So that's the first story of comparison. But the second this one's often discussed when you look at Jonah and this situation with the boat. People often go, hey, there's a lot of similarities. Have you ever noticed between Jonah on the boat here and, and Jesus with his disciples on the boat? You're absolutely right. There is a lot of similarities here. Luke 8, to 25. This is a very famous story in the Gospels. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got on the boat and, and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, and soon the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked them. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Okay, so we see a lot of similarities in this story, right? Both include, obviously, a boat. Both include a storm. Both include crying out. Both include someone sleeping. And both even include, include the water being calmed. So, wow, there's a lot of similarities in that story. But again, Jesus was on the right boat. And Jesus was God and in full submission to his father's will for his life. Jonah was not either of those things. Both Jesus and Jonah were sleeping, though. That's a really interesting comparison. That is true. But here's the difference that I see in this passage. Jesus was sleeping on the boat, which to me symbolizes peace.
peaceful rest while following God. And even in a storm, Jesus was able to rest and trust and recharge. You ever met someone who's in the middle of a storm and they just have peace? And you know there's something about that peace that you have that's just not of this world. Someone who is in the middle of hardship and they still have trust for God. That's a beautiful thing. And that's Jesus in this moment. Despite the wind and the waves, Jesus was able to rest in God's arms. He was God as well. That seems to be what the passage is saying, that Jesus was able to have rest in this moment. And the disciples are freaking out, but Jesus just cool as can be, Kind of, I, I have a theory that he, had, he was sleeping with one eye open. He was kind of watching like, look, they're totally freaking out. Oh, man. And then they're like, help us. And he's like, oh, a little quiet. And it just goes still. That's my theory. I could be completely wrong. Um, but maybe it was a little more dramatic than that. But Jesus has this peace and this trust in this moment. And he calms the water, responds in faith. Jonah, on the other hand, he is running from God, and the wind and the waves start to pick up, and Jonah even knows why, the passage tells us. He knows why it's there, and what does he do? He doubles down on his resolve to run, and he heads downstairs to take a nap. You know, there's a modern word in English for that kind of rest. Do you know what this modern word is? Netflix. That's what Jonah is basically doing right now. It's the equivalent of, oh my goodness, the world is really crazy right now. Let's watch Netflix. (laughs) You know, let's, oh sorry, I spit there, my bad. (laughs) Let's just stream something, you know, and then Netflix is so kind to when your episode is done, it gives you like 10 seconds to decide, hey, do you want to deal with your problems or, uh, okay, just watch some more, okay. Yeah, no problem. Play the next episode. He just wants to stay deep in this coma, okay? (laughs) That's basically what Jonah is doing. Now, I'm not knocking Netflix, okay? I'm not knocking. There's, There's nothing wrong with watching a show. It's not what I'm saying. Fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, though. What's that thing that you go to when the world is just a little bit too much, when the pressure is just a little bit too intense? You know what? I don't, I don't want to pray right now. I know exactly what God's going to say. He's going to say, I have to, have to be humble. So we run to something else. Surely I'm not the only one who's done that. So I wonder, church, has this been us at times? In recent times, has this been us? And again, I ask, are we known for crying out Are we known for pressing into God when we need him most? Or have we just been finding things to dull the intensity and to weather the storm down below deck? But we need to conclude this sermon. So we're going to go back to the passage one more time because the sailors are going to ask a really good question that we need to answer. They ask this question, what should we do? What should we do? What should Jonah do? Let's find out. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. 
So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? And what kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, he adds who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? For they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do? What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Isn't it interesting that Jonah is honest with the men about who he is and even who he calls Lord? He makes sure to, you know, give them the right answer. Well, I'm Jonah, kind of a big follower of God. I worship him. And they're like, didn't you just say you were running from him? I mean, do we do the same thing too, though? Hi, my name is Chris. I'm a pastor. I follow Jesus. Wait a minute. Why are you running from God right now? He's honest with them about who he is and who he follows, but he's not ready yet to be honest with himself or with God. What should Jonah do? He should do the same thing that all of us should do. But we all too often fail to do this. He should repent. But instead, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Jonah chooses to die on this hill. Interesting, you know. I've always thought of Jonah as heroic in this moment. And I think that's the vibe that most kids' books give off to. But the more I think about it, I wonder why Jonah wouldn't just start with repentance. Why wouldn't he have just cried out to God? He admits to them, horizontally, I've messed up. He has no problem with the horizontal admittance here of guilt. But why wouldn't he take the step of vertical repentance and admitting that he's wrong? Why wouldn't he at least try it? But instead, he says, throw me into the sea. And maybe, and I just speculate here, maybe it was that Jonah would have rather died at this point than repented. You think, well, that's a little crazy. But if you read the end of this book, if you read chapter 4, which we're going to get to next week, you find out actually Jonah had, he went on to do this. He went on to say, I'd rather die than admit you're right, God. And so I wonder, was this like, you know what? Toss me into the sea. Now, I'll grant that maybe it was that he had compassion for the other sailors, seeing, boy, I've got you guys into a pickle here. All right, I'll just, I'll just exit, boat left, you know. Whew. Maybe that was what it was, or perhaps it was shame. Perhaps Jonah felt like he had gone too far for him to turn back now. But you know, I really do wish that Jonah would have turned to God at this moment. I really do wish that Jonah would have cried out to the Lord and said, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm on the wrong boat. Forgive me, Lord. Then it says, instead, the men did their best to row back to land but they could not, for the sea had grown even wilder than before. So they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. And don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. 
Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Ministry-wise, isn't it interesting? Jonah wasn't even trying to turn these guys to Jesus, but he did it anyway. That's amazing. God can take a crooked stick and make straight lines. Amen? Wow. But here's my final point. It says that the men did their best to row back to land. They just didn't like this option of throwing him into the sea. And here's the last and final point, church. No one else can repent for you. No one else can repent for you. No one else can choose how you respond to God. No one else can turn to him for you. So here's the question. Will you repent or are you going to keep running? That's the question from Jonah chapter 1 for us this morning. When we find ourselves in a storm, when we don't know what to do, are we just going to keep running blindly or are we going to choose to stop and to repent, to cry out to the Lord? God disciplines us for our good, church, because he loves us with a father's heart. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, but I want to conclude by just quickly sharing a story that I think illustrates this well. And it's from a storm that came in my own life. At the age of 19, God sent a storm into my life. His name's Kingston. He's 11 years old now. Scored two goals in hockey yesterday. Amazing. I remember where I was when my wife Ellie, girlfriend at the time, told me that she was pregnant. We were at a, on a Value Village parking lot in Winnipeg. I know, weird the things you remember, right? And she told me, uh, I'm pregnant. And my heart sank. You know what my response was to that news? My response was, I'm 19 years old. I'm angry at God. And now I'm even more angry. How could he ruin my life like this, I said. How could you send this upon me? I'm 19 years old. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm just about to have all the fun that I've been dreaming of for years. You see how selfish that is? But that was my response. God just threw a wrench into the equation and instead of stopping and going, what direction am I even going? What direction am I leading my new family in? Instead, I just dug in my heels and continued to go the other way away from God. You see, God's grace in my life is that storm. That's God's grace in our life. Because years later, when my stubborn heart finally bended its knee to Jesus, I realized all along that he never left me. Not for one moment did he ever forsake me. 
And he loved me enough to go, the way that you are walking, this path that you are on, is not good. Turn. Come to me. I knew Jesus at this moment in my life, but I chose to continue walking away. And this is exactly why when I get the privilege of praying with people and they share with me, oh man, you know, I've got this thing in my life. I know it's not good, but I'm just terrified of the consequences of my sin. And they tell me, you know, they've been whatever, fill in the blank, and now I'm just really afraid. What if someone finds out or what if God brings me in a direction that I don't want to go? Can you please just pray and make the storm stop? Oh, I empathize with them. I know that feeling of being terrified at the age of 19 to bring home a child into, my, into our apartment. I know that feeling. Do you know what I say? I'm not going to pray that God bails you out of this storm. I'm going to pray that God holds you close in this storm. And I'm going to pray that God grabs your heart and he, he arrests you with his grace and that you turn to him. There's consequences for going on the wrong path. And it wasn't easy for Jonah, but God sent that storm in his life and God sends storms in our lives so that we will hold tightly to him. Because he's a good, good father. And he loves us enough to do that. So what we're going to do now is we're going to respond in worship. And I don't know, why don't you stand right now? I don't know if you are, uh, what you're going through. Again, remember, not every storm is because you're in rebellion. I, I know that. Lord Jesus, I pray right now as we quiet our hearts before you. God, there's people in this room, no doubt, that are facing a storm right now. And your Father's heart towards them is good. You desire ultimately for our good. So Jesus, as we worship you in this next song, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Where are you, Lord, in this storm? What do you want to accomplish through it? And Lord, if we need to repent, we ask for your grace to repent. Let's worship together.